Hello, my name is Justin McClure, and I'm here today with... Will Sloan. And you're listening to The Important Cinema Club. And today, we're going to go back to the best year in cinema history, right, Will? That's right. Um, uh, 1939. Right? 1939? Or uh, is it 2007? <laughs> what was in 2007? Oh, well, that was the year of uh, There Will Be Blood mm. and No Country for Old Men, also. Wow, do people still say, like, There Will Be Blood is my favorite movie of all time? I think it's been, perhaps, uh, succeeded in people's mm. estimations by future Paul Thomas Anderson films. But those are years that I often hear brought up as, oh, those were a great movie year. But in particular, because now we're at the 20th anniversary of this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, there's a new book out called Best <laughs> Movie Year Ever. Yes. With periods after every word. <laughs> How 1999 blew up the screen. Uh, this is a year that is particularly uh, brought about. Uh, Tiff recently did a retrospective, which was very easy to go, okay, what were the movies that people were talking about? And looking at that list of films didn't really fill me with that much, oh, yes, 1999 was the best year in film. Right. Uh, Inspector Gadget, uh, Stuart Little. <laughs> yep. Dogma. I saw Stuart Little in theaters, and I was baffled. <laughs> as I was probably a little bit old for it, because I was 12 at the time. I didn't find it all that confusing. <laughs> yeah. Wait, how would the mouse get born? What kind of sexual <laughs> act had to happen? <laughs> it was, they were having sex in one of those, like, the fly machines. <laughs> yeah, and that's mouse right. went into the other one. Uh, but... So before getting into some theories about why 1999 is uh, this famous year, here is a list of titles. Being John Malkovich, Election, The Virgin Suicides, Three Kings, The Sixth Sense, Eyes Wide Shut, Magnolia, The Insider, Office Space, The Talented Mr. Ripley, The Iron Giant. And then when we go to maybe the second tier, not necessarily in terms of quality, but in terms of renown, Toy Story 2, Existence, Galaxy Quest, All About My Mother, Princess Mononoke, Ghost Dog, The Limey, South Park, Bigger, Longer, Uncut, Rosetta, The Straight Story, and The Boondock Saints. Oh, man, it's sobering to consider that South Park, Bigger, Longer, Uncut came out in 1999. Does that make you feel old? (laughs) Yep. Uh, This was, of course, a year of certain seismic cultural events. There was Stanley Kubrick's final film. There was the Blair Witch Project, which heralded a new era of digital filmmaking. And who could forget... Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. <laughs> Me? The, I didn't even yeah. remember it came out in 1999. It was the highest grossing movie of the year. I wow. Mean. And uh, who could forget the best picture winner that year, American Beauty. Oh, yes, American Beauty. The best film of the year. Do people still revisit it and go, yes, it is good. God, who knows? <laughs> I don't know. Perhaps there are children out there who see that bag twirling in the wind. Well, I remember that, that joke from Family Guy. Yeah. <laughs> so 1999, we decided to pick two main movies that we want to focus on. Fight Club. And The Matrix. Yes. And, you know, when I was thinking about why this year, mm-hmm. um, th- there are a couple of reasons, and we can see this in the two films we talked about today. This was a year when a certain generation of auteurs were hitting their stride. So Alexander Payne, Paul Thomas Anderson, Sofia Coppola, Spike Jones, David Fincher, uh, Lily and Lana Wachowski, a-, a lot of those like Sundance kids, mm-hmm. rebels on the back lot people. And I think that one of the reasons that the films we're going to talk about were big successes, and it actually kind of like stems outward from my thesis I'm going to throw on the table, dissatisfaction with everything being okay. Because if you look at Fight Club, if you look at The Matrix, even if you look at uh, stuff like American Beauty, that's what those films are about. Well, all three of the movies you mentioned feature a scene where the protagonist is in their boss's office mm-hmm. and they have a difficult conversation with that boss. And yeah. they all have a, like a white collar job. Mm-hmm. Um, all the movies are, or a lot of the movies are set sort of in suburbia mm-hmm. in some way. You know, Eyes Wide Shut 
is now newly relevant because of the Jeffrey Epstein yeah. thing. Like, there's this feeling in a lot of these movies, this ambient feeling of something is not right. Yeah, well, I have everything that society has told me should make me happy. Mm-hmm. Why am I not happy? And then it's like, oh, well, it's because you're not fighting people or it's you're in the Matrix <laughs> yeah. or, I don't know, you're Kevin Spacey. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or you, you should work a fast food job and try yeah. to have sex with a teenager. Yeah, feel alive again until you realize, oh, you know, what I had was really true and happy. That's right. So had you revisited um, the Fight Club in the last few years? Um, I, this was my third time seeing it. Mm-hmm. My first time was, of course, in my parents' basement. <laughs> yeah. My, my first time. My second time was in a film studies class. Mm-hmm. And this was the third time. And so not in the last 10 years. I think that when it came out, I saw it and I probably reacted the same way that everybody did. Whoa, it's a really cool looking movie. I had no reaction to its message or anything like that, other than the fact that it seemed toxic and bad. I mean, I have another uh, theory of why 1999 has become the year. It's mm-hmm. because... So many of the film commentators were just the right age that year. Mm. You know, like they came of age at that time. And so Fight Club could have been, especially in the years after, because it was more of a video hit. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the thing is that 1999 is, I'm sure people could argue, like the internet is just coming into its own. Mm-hmm. So the people that are of age to begin the domination of the internet in many ways, continue to dominate it to this day or feel like they own it. Terry Knowles. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so film like Fight Club, I mean, I don't think it's left the cultural conversation because it's always kind of there, mm-hmm. but it's rare that you meet somebody who's like, Fight Club's my favorite movie. Well, it's rare that we meet it. I was going to say that. We I see it on Letterboxd all, all the time. time. <laughs> <laughs> when you look at favorite films and Fight Club is up there. And, you know, rewatching the film, I think it's very obvious why people react to it. It is, you know what you think of like, whoa, this is good cinema. Like, it's a puzzle box movie. There's all like little hints for you to discover. Mm-hmm. The camera's swooping and swirling all over the place. There's very um, stylized performances by people like uh, Helena Bowen Carter and Brad Pitt. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's like, ah, yes, this is the good movie. And like, if you're discovering what a movie is, mm-hmm. it, it's one of those movies that I imagine can make you feel like, oh, there's a, a director present here. There's yes. somebody guiding this. And it's also a movie where the tone of it is kind of like, hey, you and me, we see through this facade, right? <laughs> well, that's what The Matrix is as well and American Beauty and all those other movies is that people, if they're miserable, what they want is like, oh, I am the smarter one. Yeah. I'm smarter than everybody. I mean, that's what the internet is, right? You know, if you're a 14-year-old boy in your mm-hmm. parents' basement in suburbia, yeah. it's like, it's like, don't worry, it's not just you. This, <laughs> this is fucked up, right? Even though at the end of Fight Club, it's like, yeah, it's fucked up, but eh, the path that this leads down is pr- worse, if not the same. Yeah, I mean, I, I found it interesting revisiting Fight Club. I mean, do, do we have to synopsize Some, yeah. it? Ed Norton is just a miserable Ikea um, buy-in condo-owning loser who just wants to die. He's like in a plane. He's like, I wish this plane would just crash. Life is so perfect for him and he wants to get in touch with baser, realer feelings. Yeah, he can't sleep. Yeah. Because he has everything that he would want. He's just but too, he's still miserable. Too happy. Yeah. And then, uh, so he decides to start going to support groups for various things, whether it's alcoholism or testicular cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the movie's relationship with masculinity, I think, is... Um, I, I don't know how much I how much I like it. I yeah, because I, I find the movie like a little snide towards the testicular cancer people. Mm-hmm. Like, ah, look at them; they're a joke, aren't they? Like Meatloaf mm-hmm. is in the movie playing like an ex wrestler who, because he doesn't have testosterone, he develops like large man breasts. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I find it like unpleasant. I don't like it. I don't like it. <laughs> yeah. um, and you know, a lot of this movie, like the the muddled politics of this movie, are that it's I guess sort of against 
capitalism kind of I kind of it's like sort of he's it's against uh superficiality and consumerism and uh most specifically if you're white though right <laughs> well there's that one scene where brad pitt's talking it's like i don't worry about poverty i worry about celebrity magazines <laughs> I mean, that's just one of a million things he says i movie. mean everything that brad pitt says is usually a reflection of somebody who is in in some ways comfortable in their life yes and like if i don't have a struggle to define who I am, then I am nothing. And that's the issue that the film tackled with. And it's like, come on, man, like grow up. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, there was this thing that was popular in the nineties, which I feel like has been almost totally forgotten. There was a book called Iron John by a poet slash philosopher called Robert Bly, where his thesis was that uh, domesticity and wealth and everything Mm -hmm. has turned has neutered man yeah emasculated yeah emasculated them that's what i'm looking for Mm -hmm. and and what we really they really need to do is kind of get back to uh, have a men's movement not a men's rights movement although perhaps it would turn proto men's rights movement yeah but they got to go back to the woods and bang drums and why uh you know get in touch with like mythic but why i don't know (laughs) no i'm not asking you specifically i'm asking the general why it sounds stupid to me but yeah oh we need to have a power structure where we feel in power again because in this domesticity we feel like we are not reigning over the other people in our family which makes us feel weak (laughs) and you know society says we should be strong Ugh, we can't fight our primal instincts yeah and so just embrace it and so uh, i'm not quite sure what the movie fight club is proposing it seems to suggest that this atomized uh, individualized world we're in is very alienating and bad but also that any sort of collective action or group leads to fascism Mm -hmm. so uh i guess burn it all down some weird form of anarchy i don't know yeah (laughs) yeah and you can understand why watching this movie a 14 year old or even somebody who now watching it would be like ah yes fight club is good so let us make an unironic video game based on the movie (laughs) uh I want have people actually started fight clubs? In Guaranteed, yeah. they have. Yes, I don't want to be like one of those guys who's like worried about the uh, the impact. Yeah, of, yeah, of, of movies. But. I mean, the movies are only a reflection of the time that people are living in, right? Like yeah. the fact that there's this many movies is because that's how people felt through like just general media yeah. and the way like everything not specifically fight club being like it's like a symptom not a cause of the actual thing that's going on and so it's tough for me to be like ah fight club what a piece of trash because it is still i think technically impressive it's funny has a fun brad pitt performance yeah did you enjoy watching it i thought it was fine it's funny that like looking at the reviews it's like you either hate it or you love it i was like oh i just enjoyed it yeah (laughs) three and a half stars i felt exactly in the middle yeah i I don't i don't know it's certainly uh, entertaining Mm -hmm. i guess and it's a tech technical tour de force yeah although you know a lot of the things about it that were really impressive to me as a teenager it's like i don't know if i've gotten older or all these things have been integrated Mm. in so many movies since then but probably i remember when david fincher was making panic room he was like i'm gonna show you camera moves you've never seen before i remember some of those moves (laughs) yeah that's right zooming into the crack in the wall Mm -hmm. and that's the kind of fun that he's having here with that stuff even though you know, I'm sure if you talk to David Fincher like now, maybe he'd feel some trepidation about Fight Club and how he approached it. His movies have certainly become a little, I mean, they're still ostentatious, mm-hmm. but they're a little 
lower key than this one is. Yeah, stuff like Zodiac mm-hmm. is, or even like, um, what's the show that's on Netflix right now that he directs a lot of episodes, oh, the true crime one? Yeah. Oh, that shows how much is of it. Is it the Nick? No, no, no. The is Nick is Steven Soderbergh. Soderbergh. Uh, uh, it's like Manhunter or something like oh, that. Oh, Mindhunter. Mindhunter. Yes. There yes. you go. Okay. About psychics that are fighting crimes. At least that's what I get from that title. <laughs> no, it's about true crime It's a, it's a um, remake profilers. of the uh, Rennie Harlan film. Mind, <laughs> oh, great. With Christian Slater. Mwah. Yes. Uh, and yeah, seeing how his style kind of evolved away from like you can do anything mm-hmm. is very interesting because it's like a realization of like, oh, if you can do anything, then anything doesn't mean anything unless you ground it in something. Yeah. <laughs> and I... I f- I'm not sure quite how his philosophy has evolved since then. I mean, this one came not that long after Seven, where he had this, um, I don't know if nihilistic is the right word. Yeah, it's the right word. (laughs) Yeah, he he was very much like, yeah, you know what, I think it is the right word. Mm -hmm. I I don't know if the philosophy, do you think the philosophy is the same at all in his movies? Uh, Yeah, pretty much. Or if there is even a consistent philosophy. Like a Zodiac nihilistic film? Pretty much, yeah, because there is no escape from the thing that's happening. Is the girl with the dragon tattoo a nihilistic movie? I don't know. I've never seen the David Fincher version. Because why would I? I've seen the original. I mean, I think the truth is, like, David Fincher has never really captured my heart or anything. No, me neither. So I'm trying to figure out, like, why is that? And maybe it's just because I don't the ideas in his movies don't don't grab me well i think that maybe me and you react the same way like i like a lot of kubrick films i love a lot of kubrick films too but i feel like i don't have the reaction that other people do in the same way that they have with david fincher as well well i certainly feel that way about fincher Mm -hmm. Um, i I do like kubrick (laughs) wait please don't get don't get on me (laughs) i know i know the thought police are coming after me Uh, no but i like david uh, fincher as well but it's i see the same like when people talk about both of them they tend to use the same like analytical arguments which is like ah look at this precision right i mean fincher has the same stories that Kubrick had he did 113 takes on something because he wanted it perfect unbearable (laughs) awful I mean it's funny that like now the thing that I react to most when I watch movies is that directorial intent but it's almost the exact opposite of Fincher which is like less of a show offy more of a like all right, this is what it is Mm -hmm. like Soderbergh like you go in you do it fast you just have a way that you want to approach it that's what interests me not perfection perfection to me is like sterile and it doesn't really mean anything while in the moment it's much more interesting which is i think that that's why me and david fincher i can like his stuff but i'm not going to be like ah, alien 3 the masterpiece that never was <laughs> yeah 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 are there people like that yeah uh, okay. oh Derek, you i can uh on the internet does anybody think alien 3 is the best alien movie you will get a bunch of replies right. what am i saying I'm an idiot. <laughs> so fight club um yeah it's funny that we're You've like it. kind of like on a medium level where it's not like ah what a travesty and we're not oh yes it is the gem that it was when it was released <laughs> yeah uh you know what it's a gem for any 14 year old boy who like you said is in a basement in suburbia That's and right. needs something to reflect like ah yes rebellion it- let's put dicks in family films what does that mean oh my God. it doesn't mean anything okay that scene i think is like uh, emblematic of what's wrong with the movie mm-hmm. it's just kind of a scatter shot yeah uh, so much of it's just a scatter shot assault with no real no real agenda yeah know? like um uh, demagnetizing vhs tapes yeah <laughs> it's like okay yeah who gives a shit <laughs> yeah Ooh. all right oh, but and hey we really stuck it to those overweight women by making soap out of their fat yeah huh? <laughs> selling it back to them Woo! i guess they don't know they just get good soap out of it yeah so i guess it's the kind of prankery that when you're 12 is really fun which is like somebody else suffers and you can laugh yeah. at them tyler no matter Durden, who it is tyler Durden is bill hicks <laughs> Oh, <laughs> all right. Let's move on to the Matrix. Now, this is another one that you know 
probably hasn't lived up to its reputation when it was released, right? Well, you know, this is a movie that I have not seen since, I think, the year 2000. Really? But, I mean, I have seen it since 2000, <laughs> because it's everywhere. Yep. Like, it's on TV all the time. Mm. You see clips from it all the time. Yeah, it, it has been kind of absorbed into action filmmaking and what's cool and defined it for almost 10 years after its release. And, you know, like so many trend-setting works, this was one that synthesized a lot of influences mm-hmm. that had been developing for the previous two decades hong kong action cinema anime cyberpunk and much like fight club it skillfully articulated this this sense of malaise in the air like i like to say that you know the action in matrix which i think a lot of people when they talk about it that comes to define it like ah revolution action cinema it's fun to me go like you will pin choreograph this who's one of the best action choreographers in the world and this is like if i went back to kindergarten and like filled like did addition yeah this is this is you and Wuping at a five <laughs> yeah uh, i mean the his still... skill level like a three but the action in the movie works good. exactly the way it's supposed to be and i think that like that synthesis is what people reacted to that suddenly it feels like it works in an organic way and because all of these disparate elements mm-hmm. that it combi- combines are so disparate um it feels like something very new yes like you've never seen a soup quite like this you've never seen you you, you know these elements mm-hmm. but you've never seen them done in a compelling stripped down way like this uh-huh. where they all work together toward one goal mm-hmm. like the wachowskis figured out that um you know if we can explain the wire work and it's not just part of the world people will be able to swallow it better and it will be actually more impressive that way also, also, to normies yeah <laughs> also as i was watching it this time i was reminded of that story that will smith turned down the role of neo and if he took it val kilmer was gonna be morpheus potentially really i thought that they had approached chang fat originally oh, to play morpheus perhaps this is what will smith said in mm-hmm. an interview that went viral. val kilmer val kilmer <laughs> Hey, it was a Warner Brothers film. This mm. is not that long after Batman Forever. You oh, know? you're right. Yeah. yeah. He was still riding on top. Of, I think it was before Red Planet, even. <laughs> I mean, it's tough to consider anyone but Keanu Reeves, who's kind of like, you know, uh, neutral affect to everything, makes him the perfect kind of centerpiece for all this. I mean, I completely agree. Mm. And uh, as I was watching it this time, it definitely felt like this is a movie where all you know, if any one of the elements didn't quite, any one of the major elements didn't quite work. Yeah, it'd be like, so dissonant that it'd be like, ah, oh, this is a joke. Like, yeah, like if Will Smith had been wisecracking. Yeah. Woo! Because, like, this guy has to be, like, a real everyman. But mm-hmm. He also has to convey something of the times. Like, he has to be, like, almost like the prototypical um, uh, Gen X yeah. slacker guy. Yeah, slacker guy right on the edge when he doesn't know what his life is going to be. Because just being like, whatever is not working out anymore. And he has to be kind of a blank slate mm-hmm. that a lot can be put on to. You know, he's the one. Yeah, he's the one. <laughs> um, and... You know, looking at the Matrix Jetly now... Jet is the one. <laughs> that's right. There isn't one multiverse. <laughs> there are multiple multiverses. Um, the idea of, like, the Chosen One narrative is such a straightforward and easily accessible one that it's interesting that they would go and unpack that in the later movies, mm-hmm. almost as a reaction to this, where it is so, like, you know, it's not you. It's the system that's broken. Mm-hmm. And you don't really have to make any efforts. If you're special, it'll just come to you. <laughs> Something that I had always thought about this movie, uh, which, you know, the movie surprised me by actually answering or, or mm-hmm. at least addressing my questions was I would think, well, OK, you've got the red pill, you got the blue pill. Why wouldn't I choose the blue pill? I'm in I'm in this fake world. But since the world 
since I'm living in the world, since what I do has effect in this world, since I can rise and fall in this world, since a steak tastes yeah. like a steak in this world, yeah. why not just, it's that's as real as anything. Mm-hmm. In fact, that's what uh, Joe Pantaleone ends up thinking. Too. Yeah, he's like, ignorance is bliss. And you know what? I'm with him. Now, Unless you think the world is capitalism. That's what I mean, is that the interesting thing about this film is that if you apply like the systematic oppression that we live into now, then it makes sense. But the film actually never addresses that other than the fact that at one point, is it in this one or reload? I don't remember, but I think it's in this one. The agent Smith goes, we tried to make a world which was perfect and everybody was happy, but you wouldn't accept it. (laughs) So we had to do one that was more to real life with people at the top and like people at the bottom and a system of oppression in place. Otherwise your mind wouldn't accept it. Yeah. Okay. So there needs to be that power start, which I think is like a really interesting thing to inject in it because like, you're right. Even when I was a kid watching this, I was like, okay, it's awesome to know the idea of what's true, but what does that actually mean? Yeah. Right? It's like, ah, you're living in a dream world. Okay. But if the dream world is just the world yeah. and that there isn't like masterminds controlling everything, then it doesn't really matter, does it? It's just a version of something. Or think about this. You look at an anthill. All mm-hmm. those ants are like working at their business and the ants are perhaps oblivious to the fact that there's a whole society going on above mm-hmm. them that we're enacting. But but it's irrelevant to the ants because they have their own society. You know? But at the same time, we're speaking as two like middle class white guys True. that if it was different than that, maybe... Maybe we would be like, this system is rigged. If we can dismantle it and build something new, then that is better than the life that we have like that. But that's why I think the central metaphor of this movie might not click just quite perfectly Mm -hmm. because... If it was Will Smith, though, it would feel like a different film, right? Uh, Because it wouldn't be a just white middle class guy working in an office doing cyberpunk stuff on the side. It would be someone who maybe his life would be different. I'd be curious. There would definitely be different readings to it than the one that it has, as opposed to like essentially this white guy who's special and at the end he has superpowers, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which as teenagers you react to because that's the ultimate thing, right? Mm -hmm. And it makes sense why, even though it's a, a hilarious misreading of the film they're like ah the red pill the alt-right movement which is considering how the wachowski sisters evolved is the complete opposite reading of the film yeah yeah (laughs) which is it's not about like ah the truth that we should respect gender norms and men it's the opposite of that is that none of that matters (laughs) yeah so wait you're telling me all the time i spent this morning on the alt-right forum because i just watched this movie was wasted (laughs) it's kind of hilarious that the red pill they could have picked any other like straightforward movies frankly this movie is probably you know the most rigorous philosophy that a lot of people people whoa joker's about to come out well (laughs) things are about to change but i could also like as i was watching this movie i could definitely see how like a lot of people who saw it at an an impressionable age were really Mm -hmm. stunned by it probably for most people this was the first time they heard something like plato's allegory of the cave Mm -hmm. yeah i mean and i mean the film can't dive deeper into those philosophies because it would break its own genre mm-hmm. kind of structure, which is what happened with Reloaded and I forget what the Re- third one. Revolutions. Revolutions. Is that they did try to break that structure. They wanted they wanted to do something different and the result was kind of like leaden in the way that it presented stuff. Everything is accentuated like the sexuality, the philosophy, the action, which is like mega-sized yeah. but together it just doesn't click into place. Mm-hmm. Even though that it's fascinating to consider that like 
you know, that thing that I just said about, like, the system was broken, that's what they talk about, like, there has to be a chosen one. Because if there's no chosen one, then the system breaks down. Mm -hmm. That's the lesson that you learn at the end of Reloaded. So Mm -hmm. that's fascinating stuff to consider. The people that love The Matrix, especially just its, you know, surface style, are like, nah, I don't want to hear about that. doesn't matter. I just want to know what the truth is. Yeah. (laughs) And the truth was that Y2K is coming and we're all doomed. (laughs) Yes, that's right. God, I forgot about that. Did you? I guess that was haunting uh, this year in some way, too, right? Yeah, the idea that maybe life would end i mean nobody really thought that but the idea that like oh there's danger am i happy in where i am and if i'm not then why is am i not happy so many of the movies that came out in 1999 i think would have been unthinkable or at least would have been extremely different you know even three years later Mm -hmm. because the you know the effect that the twin towers falling had on the national psyche obviously it was you know a huge shock and people saw that and it it was symbolic of oh the world can come crashing down right yeah and post 9-11 it turned into why am i not happy to it's these people that are the enemy this is what is bad and this is what we have to go against right and also i when i think of the next famous storied movie year 2007 Mm. which i don't think i'm making that up i think people refer to 2007 (laughs) yeah but but like the general i think tone of the movies is i mean it's also despairing but it's despairing in a different kind of way Mm. you know like no country for old men and there will be blood Uh, i don't um, what else came out that year zodiac michael clayton (laughs) well yeah because 1999 those movies are all about like you know why am i not happy and 2007 is again I should be happy, but it's a different way. As opposed to an external force, it's an internal force destroying you, like there will be blood, or uh, even Michael Clayton, which is like the system itself is corrupt and is destroying. And it was also like towards the end of the Bush era, Mm -hmm. late in the Iraq war. I mean, again, armchair psychologist over Mm -hmm. here. That's all. That's what we're here for. (laughs) Yeah. But but, I mean, there was just this feeling of kind of like failure and shame in Mm -hmm. the air in 2007. Yeah. Like we, there was such a noble goal people believe we had like in the mid 2000s we realized it's just a lie and we're empty and we're you know essentially dead inside that's right so the real year though is 2019 uncut gems baby (laughs) (laughs) that's right uh so 1999 is it the best year in film nah i don't think so no and in fact wait what year did versus come out i think it did come out in 1999 i think versus came out in 2001 because that's the best year then yeah Yeah, because it's post matrix what am i saying (laughs) seriously yeah um but yeah i think People always try to talk. Well, people don't always try. Some people talk about 1999 as the best movie year. Mm -hmm. And I rattled off a list of movies at the beginning of this episode. But I mean, honestly, you can look at any year and rattle off a list of movies. Yeah. Of like, these are the 10 best ones. Yeah, it's fake. It doesn't mean anything. Listen, stop making lists. Stop saying you like things. The best year, 1914. Tilly's punctured romance. (laughs) Uh, His his trysting place. So I guess at the end of the day, we are taking that nihilistic fight club standpoint on things. Yeah. Oh, no. Actually, it's the opposite. We're more open. Everybody can have their favorite year of of film. That's right. Kindness. That is the motto of the important cinema club. You know, the other thing about Fight Club, Fight Club is just a different kind of system. It's just, Mm. it's it's not democratic at all. No. Yeah, the Fight Club system is bad. You should write that up as an essay and send it somewhere. (laughs) You're right. I do not approve of Tyler Durden or his club. (laughs) 
So do we have any letters this week? Our first letter goes, Hello, Important Cinema Club. Love your podcast. Been listening to it for two years now. I've wanted to watch Impossible Horror for a while now, and now that I've bought my first Blu-ray player, I'm finally going to order it. But since I live in Sweden, I'm just wondering if I can view it with my Region 2 player. Yes, you can. Impossible Horror and all the Gold Ninja video releases are always region-free. There's no region locking or anything like that on it. Love listening to your show. I think I found it by Googling Hate Nolan Podcast. <laughs> I don't think we even hate Nolan. I don't think we hate Nolan yeah. either, no. Listening every week and love the journal, too. You have opened my eyes to different exciting movies, most notably Hong Kong movies and Matt Farley. Uh, that's, that's, that's great to hear, yeah. yeah. And since I have your attention, I must propose episode subject, Anthony Mann. You have mentioned him several times, and he has a strong back catalog. And Hans Ekman, a very interesting Swedish f- filmmaker who is rather unknown outside of and inside of Sweden. I've never heard of Hans Ekman. I'll have to check that out. And Anthony Mann, we, we've said we're, we're big fans of him. So. Oh, oh, yeah. I mean, I'm a big fan of uh, Winchester 73 in mm-hmm. particular. Good director. Yeah, he did a lot of crime films as well that I love, like... Um, uh, uh, what's the one that I always get? Raw Deal. I'm like, it's the one with the that Arnold Schwarzenegger has a movie that has the same yeah. title. Man of the West. Yeah, I definitely have some big Anthony Mann holes mm-hmm, in my me viewing, too. though. So I would, eventually, I'm sure. And he's one of those fascinating, like, emigre directors, which is like, he brought something completely different to his style of filmmaking. Mm-hmm. And while he was a journeyman who would do basically anything, I believe he even worked kind of like in Poverty Row-ish or lower budget Eagle Lion productions mm-hmm. a few times. I believe his noirs were produced that way hey where's our eagle lion episode (laughs) really and but then he's one of those directors that we haven't really talked about that ended doing these like mega blockbusters that essentially killed any of the creativity and he just kind of these turgid three-hour epics all right well thank you very much for the letter um alexander and we have another one here it goes hey will and justin just wanted to write to accommodate my first custom pledge great to be part of it well thank you for pledging i really like your podcast when i deleted my podcast app a few days ago you were the first to be re-downloaded well thank you before my letter finishes wow what a roller coaster already the end (laughs) i also wanted to shout out alex griffith for introducing me to the show he lent me your journal, and I hope you can. there can be a volume two of this in the future. Lent the journal? <laughs> yeah. What, what, what is it? Oh, no. That's no, okay. we're kidding. Yeah, yeah, pass it around if you own it. At least one person has to own it. Yeah. But then once you become rich, yes. buy 500 copies. <laughs> 500 copies. Yeah. That's the pledge you make when you buy the Important Cinema Club journal. I would have never seen the amazing Over the Garden Wall without it. It took me a moment to be like, huh? Oh, I wrote a DVD review in the Important Cinema Club journal. That's, and that's right. why. Which is a great cartoon that takes place during the fall and this Halloween theme. So if you want to get into the spirit um, around October, give it a watch. Uh, kudos, love the voices. Peter Bogdanovich is my fave. <laughs> you haven't done like an imitation of anyone in a long time, have you? It feels like we're so serious. They don't do imitations as well as they used to in the <laughs> studio era. <laughs> <sighs> uh, love it. I mean, I guess your repertory is like Peter Bogdanovich, Woody Allen... And maybe a shaky Orson Welles. Yeah, probably. I don't, yeah. I don't want to do them all. You know, they have to come kind <laughs> yeah, naturally, of naturally. Yeah. You know, it's like Mel Blanc. He couldn't just do a voice. He had to come to it method style. Uh, but yeah, Important Cinema Club Journal, Volume 2. Uh, yeah, oh, maybe yeah. it's on the horizon. Yeah, who possibly, knows? Possibly, yeah. <laughs> uh, we really appreciated everybody that's bought a copy. Uh, if you have and you like it, go on Amazon and review it. Yeah, Because, I mean, listen, anybody who is forced to buy stuff on Amazon, they probably look at the reviews. And if there's nothing, they're like, nah, I feel a little nah. bit like, yeah. 
Suddenly they're curvy. <laughs> Same thing if you bought the Albert Pune book. There's only three reviews on there. Come on, guys. I know more people bought copies than that. I'll go write a review. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. That wouldn't seem suspect at all, but I appreciate it. On Amazon or Goodreads. Uh, very much appreciate for everybody who picked up that book, Radioactive Dream, the cinema of Albert Pune. And for everybody that picked up the Three Stooges Blu-ray. Yes. Uh, three Stooges in public domainia. By the time you're listening to this, uh, they're about to start shipping. Mm-hmm. And they're pretty much done. And I appreciate it. And if you haven't bought one, they're still available at goldninjavideo.com. But they won't be available to, uh, forever. So check that out and purchase it if you want the ultimate Three Stooges experience. Mm-hmm. So what are we doing next week, Will? Next week, we will be diving into the vast career of Tyler Perry. <gasps> Tyler Perry? Are we just going to make snide jokes about it and make fun of it the entire time? Oh, no. But will, I, will we like it? Who, who knows? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I am very interested in him, though. I mean, mm-hmm. he's... Uh, Incredibly popular. Very prolific. Mm-hmm. A, a real mogul. Somebody who, you know, his, his audience is clearly defined and it's very deep you know are you going to be checking out um alex cross the <laughs> rob cohen directed uh tyler perry action vehicle or gone girl yeah that's right he, he's good at gone girl he is good at gone girl so what are we going to watch uh i'm going to check out diary of a mad black woman because i've never seen that one i've seen it it's fun yeah uh how did i get married Two is the one that people talk about as like the ultimate Tyler Perry experience. Like good, bad, both. Ooh, uh, I mean, good was Tyler Perry is, you know, uh, to be discussed, probably the most extreme version of Tyler Perry's kind of filmmaking um, themes. I mean, this is the thing about Tyler Perry. He's really created a style, mm-hmm. you know? He has his own he has his own grammar, basically. And yes. That's interesting. Uh, well, I don't want to get into it now. I'll save it until um, next week's episode, but that's what we're doing. And until then, my name is Justin Glue. I'm Will Sun. Thanks for listening. So we just did a Three Stooges Blu-ray where you immerse ourselves in stooge mania. And for Will, it wasn't enough. I actually cannot stop watching, <laughs> really? watching the Three Stooges. It's like all I've been watching lately. <laughs> so uh, when you like got home and you reach for like the Three Stooges disc, what were you specifically looking for? Because it wasn't just stooges that you wanted. You wanted something special. What I have been enjoying are kind of the mid to late Shemp era. Mm-hmm. Like... Because they're all gotten kind of old, yeah. and by that point, all the artistry is gone. Like when you watch the curly shorts, there's much more going on. Yeah, like they're they're very energetic. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are lots of great sight gags and visual gags. And then by the time you get to, I want to say 1952, 1953, um, uh, the Stooges aren't quite as energetic as they used to be, and the violence is more intense than it's ever been before. It's, it's also packed with stock footage, isn't it? Well, so that's kind of where I get off. Like, okay. I, I've watched a few <laughs> you of those. Get off. <laughs> I, 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 no, not, not, like not that. that guy. I got yeah. off the trolley. I mean, yeah, uh, as, or I get off on the trolley. <laughs> That's right. So complicated. So you go up to the. You want like you right up to the edge of when it like really gets you know dire. Uh, dire. Yeah, because. I don't know. The the whole mise-en-scene has mm-hmm. become very stripped down, too. It's like a lot of hallways, a lot of nondescript offices. Mm-hmm. You got these three guys who are, you know, aging rapidly. They don't, <laughs> again, they don't have the same kind of energy. And, yeah. And they're just hurting each other. <laughs> hurting, 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 hurting. Yeah. You know. And you get joy from that? The pain of others, especially if they're elderly? Yes, I do. <laughs> Is that, like, what, 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 what do you enjoy about, like... Like you want this? I actually. What do you of, get from it? I kind of like the artlessness of it. Okay, you know, it's like it, 
it's 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 pornographic almost it's like <laughs> it, it's it's very pure it's it's just mm. a straight up cinema of cruelty yeah and that's what because like you love the curly era oh yeah i mean the curly era is better mm-hmm. I mean, don't get me wrong but this is like a different flavor this is the like stooges mondo movies if you will yeah <laughs> that's what you love about it i mean if you were really but you're not quite sadomasochistic because then you'd be like let me watch all of the um, color stooges from the cartoons era. <laughs> I mean, I have seen all of them. <laughs> I know, but... but you're not reaching for it. Like, I want to be entertained, which uh, is available in its entirety on the Three Stooges Golden Ninja video disc. Oh, man, brutal. And uh, I should point out, too, that uh, since we recorded the last episode, I edited together the documentary, and there's uh, a lot of um, Joe Besser edited in there. So <laughs> Joe Besser is somebody who I almost never revisit. Really? He doesn't even have have that many shorts he only has like 16 or 19 i think yeah there's just the the flavor is off Mm -hmm. you know the ingredients are mixed wrong even though we've met people who like were like new joe besser outside of the three stooges they were from the abbott costello yeah you're talking about one person (laughs) one person who i hope is listening right now yeah i like this but we did find online on facebook a joe besser fan club and i smashed that join button (laughs) did you yeah yeah. Oh, man. Before I forget, I have to say that uh, a milestone has happened in my life, which is that uh, I am included on an audio commentary track released by Vinegar Syndrome. Oh, goodness. I mean, all those years of campaigning, finally. <laughs> no, it had nothing to do with it. It's uh, I, Me and my pal Peter Kaplowski host a commentary with the screenwriter of uh, Unmask Part 25. The uh, kind of It's like a Friday the 13th satire. It's actually... Not as goofy as you think it is, but it actually plays more as almost like a kitchen sink British kind of like slasher with actually really fun murders and funny comedic stuff as well. Yeah, like the promise of the movie is what if Jason fell in love? Mm-hmm, that's right. You, plays, you played it at the Laser Blast Film Society maybe four years ago. That's so. the only reason I'm on this commentary track. It has nothing to do with this podcast or any of the work I've done since then. <laughs> it's uh, my pal Peter found the screenwriter who he knew had submitted a short to something he was programming. We brought him to do a Q&A at that screening where we learned that was the first time ever he had watched the film with an audience that never happened before then. It was quite a touching moment. He yes. seemed very um, very Just, happy about yeah. it. Uh, and after that the uh, Peter stayed in contact with the uh, screenwriter who found the negative of the film. Mm-hmm. So when he told Peter Peter put him in contact with Vinegar Syndrome and that's how that all happened. And I was like I gotta I want to be on that commentary track. And it's great that it's finally coming out because this is a movie that is really like yeah. it needs it's a cult following. It does. Immediately. It, people who like it, I think, like, love it, but it's been kind of lost. It was on VHS. It's never had a DVD release. Mm-hmm. And finally, Vinegar Syndrome, who genuinely loved this movie, I can say it from, like, speaking to the people who work at the company, is giving it the respect that it deserves by putting me and Peter on a commentary yeah. track. So, Hey, guys, it, hire me for something. <laughs> yes, please. No, continue to hire me. Me. <laughs> well, you know what? Why don't they just hire both of us? I'll, I'll do it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So buy a Gold Ninja video Blu-ray and then buy the Vinegar Syndrome one, because I make no money on the Vinegar Syndrome one. <laughs> 